You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. If someone has a mental health disorder or illness and they use drugs and alcohol to deal, to handle, to numb, to not have the symptoms or be as anxious or if it's bipolar or schizophrenia to like numb or lower or lessen those issues that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis by using very accessible things in today's day and age. My guest today is named Ellie Weinstein and he's the host of the Dude Therapist podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited about this. I'm glad to have you on, man. We were discussing a little bit before the show started about all the fancy letters behind your name. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are and what you're about? Yeah. So my name's Ellie Weinstein. I'm a therapist out in New York. Uh, The letters after my name are LMSW, which means licensed master social worker, which is fancy language for I am a practicing therapist under supervision. Uh, And uh, yeah, I, um, I work with all types of people all walks of life in a community clinic in Queens in New York. Uh, I have a podcast of my own called the dude therapist. I'm a father, a husband, just living daily life and doing the best I can. You know, I'm glad you mentioned your podcast. I've been listening to it here recently and I got to say, it's a great show. If the listeners aren't familiar with it, I would highly recommend that they check it out. You cover a, a wide variety of topics and, Man, I just love the insight that you bring to that and and your perspective. And I feel like you just kind of break things down in a really simple way, man. So I'm I'm glad to have you on the show today. I appreciate you saying that because that's really what elevation and my stuff is all about, is really making mental health more approachable and practical than some of the research articles and terminology that is thrown out at us all the time. Like, what does that truly mean to be depressed, to have anxiety, to struggle with schizophrenia or bipolar or any mental health disorder or relationship issues or personal issues? We use all these terms so much. It happens in the medical world. The doctor says some really fancy word and you have to then go Google it later to truly understand what it means. And it's just like something simple. So uh, it's really about breaking down mental health to a more practical human level, which is the whole vibe of what I'm trying to bring. Man, I love that. I think, especially for the listeners and and for me too, man, like that's one of the things that I really like is just simplifying things because I can I can get behind it when I actually understand what it means. But all the technical terms and the big words and all that, I get really confused and I I, I don't I don't think I I grasp it when when it's overcomplicated. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I I agree, and then I feel that way. Like you know, I'm not a big tech person. So when someone talks tech language to me, I honestly have no idea the word. I know they're speaking English, but I have no idea the words and what it means. So I have to like ask them to just dumb it down or simplify it so that someone who doesn't know what they're talking about can understand what they're talking about. And that's half the battle. Same thing goes for politics, religion, or anything that's like hot topic. Sometimes it's just really just understanding what the words they're saying are using to kind of make it more approachable and relatable. Yeah, for sure. How would you define depression and anxiety and some of the some of the basic things that we hear a lot about as far as mental health goes? I first of all would say that mental health illness or mental illness really is defined by something that stops you from functioning in your life or stops you from being the person you want or need to be. 
um, because we all have nerves. We all have sadness. We all get anxious sometimes and we all get depressed sometimes. It's the wave and um, ups and downs of life. It is natural. It is healthy. It's important. You're human. It's great. It means your mind and body are working. But the level of mental illness that I and mental health issues is when it crosses that line of getting in your way. So if you're so anxious that you can't leave your house or so anxious that you can't go to a family gathering or so depressed that you can't go to your job and get paid to pay your bills and do the things that you need to do, that's where like the issues truly lie. Because the day-to-day stuff, I get anxious. I get anxious about traffic. I get anxious about a job opportunity. I get anxious about uh, my child being healthy. You know, those things are important. They're part of your brain telling you that something is off or not right or needs to be focused on a little more. But when it really gets into trouble zone, it doesn't mean it's your the world is ending. It just means that you might need to get a little extra help. So anxiety and depression are actually two sides of the same coin. They have very similar symptoms. They show up very similarly and they impact your, your life a lot in the same ways. I like those definitions because I think for me, I always associated like depression as just like being sad. And so I've probably misused the term before, you know, like, oh man, I'm feeling really depressed when maybe I'm just feeling a little down that day or just kind of discouraged or not in the best mood. So I like that definition of like, it, it hinders your life. That's, that's good. I like that. Like when I, when I, when I envision, I'm a big like um, imagery kind of person that helps me understand things. When I envision anxiety, I imagine like a boa constrictor, like suffocating you to death. That's what I envision anxiety and depression is a very deep hole that is dark and there's no way out. Those are like the visions that I, I see when I explain depression or anxiety to my clients or to anyone I'm working with or someone who's just asking questions about mental health on social media or on a podcast. Those are kind of like the visions I try to put in people's minds because that's what it sometimes feels like when you have a panic attack. You feel like your life is being squeezed out of you and it's scary as hell. And I would imagine being suffocated by a boa constrictor is pretty scary. Hasn't happened to me. I uh, really don't want that to, but those are kind of like the envisions of what I see as the explanation in simplistic terms of what it could feel like. And each person deals with it differently, you know? Yeah. So in your practice, how do you go about diagnosing whether someone is suffering from depression, anxiety, or Maybe they're, maybe they just have like a, a rough patch or they're going through a, a bad time. Like, how do you, how do you define the difference between, between those things? Well, really it comes down to a, a manual. Uh, it sounds really like uh, logistical, but, and practical, but there is something called a DSM. It's a handbook that is discussed by the psychiatric world. Um, they have meetings every couple of years to decide what is considered a psychiatric disorder and what are like the, um, targeted points that if you hit these five out of seven things, you can sit, you are considered in a medical sense, having a diagnosis, same thing for a chronic illness or, um, appendicitis or anything that you can go to a hospital for a doctor looks and checks off. Okay. This and that they have cancer. They have this, this and that they have a chronic illness, an autoimmune disease. You know, it's just a very, um, uh, equation, but it's also what someone presents when they see, when you see them which is really hard nowadays in the pandemic. But when you see someone and you feel them in the room, their voice, their presentation, how they look, their speech, their thoughts, everything kind of makes a picture in your mind. And then you take that picture, 
called a case formulation. You take the person that comes into your office, you sit down with the DSM. If you're really good at doing it for a little bit, you can kind of guess a direction that it might be going also by what they're saying, right? If someone says, I'm really nervous about going, doing this, that, and the other thing, they're probably not having some sexual disorder or some alcohol or drug addiction. It doesn't mean they don't, but you have to dig deeper and ask the right questions. And it really is looking at that DSM manual to kind of break down, okay, do they fill these requirements? Because when you put that diagnosis on someone, it's a label that could follow them depending on work issues, um, legal issues. It's a very important thing and should not be taken lightly. And it also, just to, for all the listeners out there, it also isn't a defining thing. Just because you might have a diagnosis of something doesn't mean you were any less human or important. So just something to remember as well. So in your experience, because the podcast is about mental health and, and drug addiction, what, what role have you seen drugs and alcohol play in the realm of mental health? Uh, it's a huge um, coping mechanism. When I, I, you know, I work with all people, all walks of life, races, religion, anyone, and a lot of ages. My youngest client is nine. My oldest client is like seventy-two. Because I work in a community clinic, it's it's anyone and everyone who wants to come for mental health treatment. And the clinic I work at also has a drug and addiction clinic, as well. And what I've seen in my work is that there is a coexistence of the two of them. If someone has a mental health disorder or illness. And they use drugs and alcohol to deal, to handle, to numb, to not have the symptoms or be as anxious, or if it's bipolar or schizophrenia, to like numb or lower or lessen those issues that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis by using very accessible things in today's day and age. Sometimes makes it worse, by the way. I've seen, I used to work in a psych hospital and I saw when people with K2... K2 is one of the scariest things I've seen symptom-wise because it can make people really fry and mess their brain uh, and really cause them to have psychosis, like a psychotic break Uh, for the first time with no other history of mental health. Sometimes marijuana causes anxiety to ramp up and depending on the medication or the drug that you're taking or the alcohol, it could really mess with your system and make things worse when you're trying to make it easier to handle. Yeah, that was kind of where I was going with that question. So... I guess then at the same time too, you also have to take that into consideration when you're trying to figure out what's going on with them. Are there some signs that you look for that they might be using drugs that, that could be affecting their behavior and, and your diagnosis? Well, like I said before, it's really about how someone presents in an office. So if I had, I've had someone walk in and they were just not able to sit up, stand up or falling asleep were groggy, sweating profusely, like all these things that could be signs of alcohol use. I asked them, I said, have you drank today? No. I said, are you sure? Like, well, I had four beers before coming into your office. Okay. And then we get into that. And also really when it comes down to, if someone doesn't want help for drug and alcohol addiction, they're not going to tell you. So it's really hard to know, you know, what truly someone is going on behind closed doors because I only know what they tell me or what I can see in front of me. I don't know anything else uh, unless they give me permission to talk to other people. Other than that, if they're a consenting adult, I don't have any permission to talk to anyone else other than the person in my office. Sometimes it is very hard and sometimes that could really hinder mental health treatment. In your opinion, do you believe that addiction or alcoholism, do you believe that that is a disease? Yes. 
I really truly believe that it is something that it really and, and disease is not a bad thing. It, it's something that really is it's it's something that's hurting you. It's something that you know. I have a chronic illness. I have Crohn's, the Crohn's disease. It, it it's a uh, an autoimmune disease that affects your GI system. It sucks. It doesn't make me a horrible person because I have a disease. But I also believe that diseases need to be worked on and treated if you if you want to be healthy. And I don't believe that that it is something that just magically happens. I think it's very complex. It's not so simple as drug or alcoholism isn't a disease and ta-da, there you go, fix the problem. It is a very complex layered thing that can be impacted by years of trauma, by watching your parents do certain things, the lifestyle you grew up in, where you grew up in, the culture you brought were brought up in. It's not just a simple, okay, it's a disease that explains everything. It's a very complex layered issue that is not just cut and dry and black and white. I can remember like when I first got clean, my mom and I had a conversation and she was like, why can't you just stop? And it's like, I I don't know. I want to. I really do. Like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know how to stop. I, I can't. I have to. I have to get high. I don't know how else to function in life without the drugs. Like, I don't know how to stop. And it was like, I don't I still don't think she fully comprehends like the mental side of it of just like obsession and compulsion and and just like how it takes over your life and it's it's hard to explain to anybody i mean i've i've lived through it and it's hard to explain it's like the disease is the easiest thing like the easiest way i can describe it it's like i don't know how else to to say it i love you you said a great you said a great explanation i think it's like a consuming all-encompassing feeling of this like deep need to do something and sometimes not knowing why, you know, this morning I was watching, I love documentaries and I was watching, um, I'm a huge Yankee fan and I was watching CC Sabathia's documentary that just came out on HBO max called under the grapefruit tree. I think it's called. And he, I didn't know this. I'm a huge Yankee fan. And for a couple of years, I realized that he was not himself and was not pitching to the standard that we thought as Yankee fans. And he just, he went to rehab. I don't remember that at all. And he was explaining his addiction and how he would detox to pitch. And then the second he finished pitching would have a crown and Sprite in his locker right after he finished, whether he won or lost, and then would binge drink from the second he finished till three days before he pitched where he would detox to pitch again and then do the cycle all over and over again. And he was doing this since he was like 15, 16. Not, not knowing why until he went to rehab and they worked on the why and figured out the why and it like clicked in his head and he went, oh my God, that's why I've been doing it. I've been consumed by this for years, not knowing what the source was and all it takes is someone else to ask the question or help me. And it was a very interesting, very interesting. Um, if you're a huge Yankee fan or love CeCe Sabathia, it's a great watch. I know that was, that was very random. I know. No, no, that was that was that kind of played right into what we were discussing, man. That's that's perfect. So, how did you get into the field that you're in? What what drew you to it? So, I've always struggled with ADHD um, growing up, and uh, gone to my rounds of therapy and medication. You know, Adderall, Vyvanse, Concerta, all those kind of things. And I've always known that I wanted to work with people, connect with people, and help people on their journey, whatever that meant. And I did not have the brain or head to 
be a doctor. I just didn't have the commitment to go for years on end and to study and memorize. It just wasn't my thing. So the next thing for me mentally was to be a therapist. And it's been a fun journey. You know, it's been interesting with schooling and internships and now, you know, practicing for a little over three years. It's just a, a, a daily difference. Every day is something. Every day is something new. Every day is a different challenge with each person, which makes it really, really not boring and monotonous, which is really great for my ADHD, you know, just feeds the beast a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the things that I love about my job. And, you know, it's nothing glamorous, but it's always changing. And that's it keeps it exciting because I never know from one day to the next, like what kind of project I'm going to be working on or or what part of town I'm going to be in. It's just like constantly changing. So I, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Like I've never been a person who's like a nine to five, even though I do work certain hours, like sitting behind a desk with just a computer. Like I always need to connect with a person and be with people around people. It's just my personality and who I am. But this is a different level where you connect with people on such a deep way that is truly about them. Because as a therapist, it's not about you. You know, I'm an Orthodox white Jewish guy. I don't bring any of that. Well, I do bring that into my office because it's who I am, but that does not sway or impact my therapy for the person sitting across from me because it's about them, whoever they are, whatever they bring to the table. And it's about their care and giving them TLC love and affection and be interested and there for them when they need it at their highest and at their lowest. And I love it. What would you say? And I don't want you to like break patient doctor confidentiality or any of that, but what are some of the most rewarding things that you get out of your job? Yeah, I can make up names, but I'm not going to do that anyways. But in the end, I think one of the biggest things for me is, is when someone makes progress that they've actually committed to, or you can actually look back, you know, I do that around, I have my cycle of therapy content, which is really like at the end of the year, you know, new year's is coming up. Look it back on your year. And it's very interesting as a therapist who's objective to see where they were in the beginning and how they are now um, and point it out to them. Sometimes they don't even see the growth. It's like when you work out and you diet and you don't realize that you've lost weight until someone else goes, wow, you look great. And only then do you realize that that's the beauty of the hard work that you've been doing day in, day out. I've had people cry in my office thanking me for the amazing work. I've had people yell at me because they hate me. You know, it, it's up and down um, and it all depends on the the person, but the magical moments of being there for someone when they need you most and helping them is something that you cannot replace. So what kind of advice would you give someone who thinks that they may be struggling with anxiety, depression, something along those lines? Well, definitely it is knowing that it's not the end of the world and that there's so much help out there right now. Um, especially during Corona, the pandemic, there's so much teletherapy, there's so much access. It's all about looking and finding the person that fits and not giving up to find that person because there are great therapists out there. There are not so good therapists out there. There are people who are not your speed and you don't connect with, and they could be the best therapists in the world. You have to find the right person that you connect with who helps you with whatever issue you're dealing with. But the first thing is reaching out looking on, let's say, psychology today, looking on uh, websites, Googling therapists in my area, clinics in my area, and make sure that you can afford it with insurance or out of pocket and make sure that 
it's accessible and something that you can really truly see yourself investing your time in and getting the help you need. That's a great answer, man. And that kind of goes into something that, that I tell people all the time. Cause I, I've had people that are asked that'll ask me things like, man, I, I just don't feel like I'm connecting with my sponsor or I'm not connecting with this person or whatever. It's just like what you were talking about with the therapist. Like you got to find the right fit. You got to find the person that, that you relate to and, and that you feel comfortable with. And it's the same, same kind of thing. Because yeah, in the end, whether it's sobriety, whether it's NAAA or any meeting or any treatment of wellness that you're trying to get, you are the focus. You're the person looking for the help, not the sponsor, not the therapist, not the counselor, not the clinic. It's not them who's getting the help. It's you. So you need to find out what works for you as an individual, a human being getting better, whatever that means, for whatever reason it is. And it's not don't worry about the other person. Don't worry about the sponsor being offended. Don't worry about the therapist being hurt or the clinic being upset that you're leaving and going somewhere else. You need to worry about yourself and it's okay to be selfish because it's your care. You would do the same thing if it was a doctor. Right? If a doctor just wasn't your speed, didn't have the right treatment, you didn't like the treatment, you didn't like the bedside manner, you wouldn't go back. You would go somewhere else to find someone who would fit. So why not do that for wellness, for your mind and your body and your soul? I think we're too worried about the other people involved in the equation uh, of wellness instead of ourselves. And we put ourselves last when in the end we have to really put ourselves first when it comes to our treatment and our help. If you don't mind, I'd love to hear more about your podcast and, and let the listeners know kind of some more about, about what you're doing over there. Yeah, for sure. So it's called The Dude Therapist. It's not just for dudes. I just am a dude therapist. And I really started it because I noticed that there was a lot of lack in the male voice of mental health and a lot of female voices, which is empowering and wonderful. And I love that there's so many resources on social media for the female world. I think it is amazing for, I have a daughter, for my daughter, for my wife, uh, and for many people, myself included, to see another side of things. But I also think it's important to get a different perspective on mental health. And the dude therapist talks about mental health, being a human, what that means. Uh, I talk about uh, being a parent, being a father, being a husband, relationship issues. And season, I'm wrapping up season one. And season two, I'm having a lot of interviews with therapists, with dietitians, with uh, some very interesting people bringing basically the concept of what it means to be wellness. What does it mean to go for wellness and how you achieve that in very different ways in all walks of life? Awesome, man. Thanks. It's a, it was really scary to start a podcast. I don't know if you felt the same way, like putting yourself out there in a very uh, public way because the stuff that I do is very personal, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in an office with one person. No one else really sees or hears that because of confidentiality or unless someone broadcasts to their own friends. Oh, my therapist told me this, or my therapist told me that no one else really hears that stuff. So for it to be like on Spotify and Apple podcasts and all those things that are worldwide, I have listeners in Australia and France and England in random places in America that I have no connection to whatsoever. I live in New York uh, and my wife's from California. So maybe some connection to the West coast, but to see different people in different parts of the world listening, it's a little, it's a little scary that your, your voice and your concepts could be repeated or used or any of those things. So it was like a little nerve wracking in the beginning, but uh, it's been a really exciting journey and I love it. 
Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I got an email. I think it was yesterday. It was like a end of the year wrap up thing. And it was giving me stats and stuff. And it said that my podcast had been played in 58 different countries. And I was like, wow, I don't even know that. I, I don't even know that I could name 58 <laughs> different countries. I love when I see the list on the stats and I'm like, where is that place? Thank you. But where is that place? That's awesome. But that's exciting. That your voice. That means, you know, I, I heard this a while ago. I don't know if it bothers you when your followers or how many followers you have and the number of reach that you want to get. But if you just think about where else in the world, imagine that you were giving a speech and all those people were in the room. Like that's what it's like. That's the, so when I have, I have over 1500 downloads now in my first season, it's only been about five months, uh, six months, 1500 people sitting in a room listening to me talk. That's a huge honor. But we think of it as, oh, it's only 1,500. There are millions of people. But that's a huge undertaking and an amazing thing. So I really commend you. 58, 58 countries. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I had no idea that it was that big because I don't. I really don't think my show is that popular or whatever. I try not to check the numbers too much because it's not about the number of listens or downloads or likes on social media for me. I just want to have that platform where people can come on and share their story. And, you know, if it helps one person, then the podcast is a success. So yeah, I was blown away when I saw that 58 countries is like, wow, that's insane. And I love those emails, by the way, I got an email recently that someone listened to a podcast from like 10 months ago that I was on and said like, Hey, can I talk to you? I saw, heard this thing about X, Y, and Z. I really connected with it. And I did this podcast 10 months ago and this email happened a few weeks ago. So podcasts are really a great free content creator, and it's there. It's there for you to search, look up if it's the right terms and the right things. You can find so much help uh, and so many ways from so many different voices, which I, I love what you do. And I love that you, you know, we, we collaborated like this because it's just different avenues to help different people. Absolutely, man. And that's that's my hope for this episode. I hope some of the listeners hear you start listening to your show and they can get something from you and maybe they can get something from my show and we can just continue to, to try to help people with a podcast, man. Cause I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm a guy with a laptop and a microphone. Like, but dude, that's all it takes. You don't have to, I'm not special either. I'm just, I just went to school and have letters. That means nothing. I mean, it just gives me more, I don't know, validity. But in the end, anyone can have a voice in today's day and age. and Anyone can change someone's life. All they need is a computer and a laptop or even your phone. You can have your just your phone and do it on Anchor or any website. I don't know if uh, Discord does it on uh, what's it called on the phone. But you can really record anything and anywhere and impact just one person. Everyone can be special. It doesn't have to be like a title or fame or fortune to create impact in the world. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Well, we're kind of coming towards the end of the episode. I usually like to just open the floor up for the guests to share whatever's on their heart, whatever whatever it is that you just want everybody to hear. The floor is yours, man. Two things. I think, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but I think going into the New Year's resolution concept, something I'm really trying to push this year is the idea of what that means. I think we're always constantly so caught up in the I suck, I need to change next year. I think a New Year's resolution should really be for our mental health 
and benefit us more if we realize that we did things that are truly important and great. And we just need to just adjust or pivot just a little bit differently to be better versus looking at, I suck. I need to do better. You did great. You did good enough. You did the best you could. You do not suck. You're not terrible. Next year is a different opportunity. And I think the other thing is that we need to start loving and being kind to ourselves just a little bit more, myself included, because we have so many things to offer to this world and so many things to offer to the people around us in our inner circle, our outer circle, in our jobs, in our communities. If we just were kinder to ourselves, kinder to other people, and just listened more and were there for each other, I think this world would be a lot of a better, a lot better place. Awesome. So the podcast is the dude therapist. Where can the listeners find you at? So I have an Instagram account, elevation underscore therapist. I have a website, elevation.org. And my podcast is dude therapist. Anyone and everyone is welcome to listen, to reach out, ask questions, ask for content. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone who needs help. And if I can't help you more than happy to find someone who can to help you on your wellness journey. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show sharing with us your experience, some simple definitions that anybody can understand, just really breaking down some of these terms that we hear in the mental health field. I I really appreciate it. Anytime. Ellie, thank you again for coming on the podcast today and sharing with us. If you want to hear some more great content from him, be sure to check out The Dude Therapist. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.